And, and you know what? God's not like Mama. He warns us. And all of us that are in this room this morning have the warning that we are living at a time right now when God has just about had enough. And listen, when God has enough, it's the slowest screen known to man right there. <laughs> but when God's had enough, it's not like when mom has enough. It's a whole lot more dramatic than that. Now, let me make sure that we're all working off of the same page here. Uh, some of you are coming into this room for the very first time, and we're studying the book of Revelation. We've been doing this for a long time. You can see at the top of your study sheet, this is now our 134th shot at the, the book of Revelation. And, and really, the, the book of Revelation is, believe it or not, one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand. Now, a lot of people freak out and have freaked out through the centuries, but you see, there's a principle of Scripture that we pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and the principle is this. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, what? Rightly. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you study the word of God, what you begin to see that is very clear is that God gives you the places where he divides his book so that you can understand what it is that he's saying to you. And, and the book of Revelation is a book that divides out so incredibly beautifully. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, and in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, the same event takes place, and that is that heaven opens. But in Revelation 4 and verse 1, heaven opens and somebody goes up, in Revelation 19 and verse 11, heaven opens and somebody comes down. And what you have marked for you there in the book of Revelation is exactly where the rapture of the church is. That's Revelation 4.1. And it gives you exactly where the second coming of Christ is. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. So basically, if you could just see this in your mind, the first three chapters are set over here. They're set apart because of this event that takes place in chapter 4. So you've got three chapters on this side. Then you're working all the way through the book of Revelation, chapter 4 through 19. And then you have three chapters on this side, 20, 21, and 22. Now, that big section in the middle is all about the tribulation period and where everybody that gets themselves lost in the book of Revelation, if they're going to get lost, they're going to get lost somewhere in here between chapters 4 through 19. But what you've got to understand, and once you see this, this just opens the book up for you. In those, those chapters, what God does is he gives you four different accounts of the tribulation period. Where people get themselves messed up is they understand, okay, we're entering into the tribulation period. That's very evident when you get to chapter 6. And what people try to do is they try to put this in some kind of chronological order. And when you do that, you, you just get everything all fried in there because you, what you've got in the midst of these chapters is four accounts of the second coming of Christ as well. And, and so everything gets all distorted. You'll do yourself a big favor if you'll understand that there are four different accounts. The first account begins in chapter 6, and it is through the opening of seven seals. And each one of those seals, God is showing you further into the, the tribulation period. And 
the way that it works out in Revelation chapter 6 through the opening of the seven seals, it's really showing you the tribulation from man's perspective. Then we move into another account of the tribulation period. This time, it's through the sounding of seven trumpets. And again, what God does is he brings you through that tribulation period through seven different stages. This time, through the sounding of seven ceremonial trumpets blown by seven angels. Then in chapters 12 to 14, we see a third account. This time what God does is he shows us the tribulation period by revealing to us seven personalities. And we went through those as we were coming through Revelation chapter 12 through 14. And now this morning, what we're about to embark on is this fourth and final time where God brings us through the tribulation period. And this time he's going to do it through the pouring of seven vials. The pouring of seven vials. And we've been talking about this for some time because in chapter 15 of Revelation, what God does is he provides for John really a, a preface to what he's about to see in chapter 16. He's about to pour out these vials, but God knew that John and us were going to need just a little bit of, of working before we actually get in and see what is going to happen because it is just so absolutely devastating. And in chapter 15, just to kind of pull you into your remembrance, in chapter 15, what we began to see is that for the last 6,000 years of human history, God has been extremely, extremely gracious. And we're all living testimonies of that. Amen? The fact that we're in this room and have breath in our being is a testimony of the grace of God. But it's even more than that. We have the life of God in us this morning. A testimony of God's grace. And for 6,000 years, basically, what God has been doing on this planet, He's just been manifesting over and over and over again just how gracious and compassionate He is. Psalm 86 and verse 5 it says this, listen to it. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And he goes on in that same chapter, Psalm 86 and verse 15. And he says, but thou, O Lord, art a God, listen to it, full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy in truth. See, that's the way that God has been dealing with us for approximately 6,000 years. But what we find in Revelation chapter 15 is that while God has been manifesting His grace and mercy and compassion and tenderheartedness to us, and of course the greatest manifestation of that was when He offered His only begotten Son on the cross for us. However, while God has been dealing with us in that fashion, at the very same time, what Revelation 15 and verse 1 lets us know is that something freaky has been going on in heaven during that same period of time. And that is that the wrath of the holy, almighty God of heaven has been filling up and what John sees in Revelation chapter 15 is absolutely incredible. You, you can see in verse 5 
That is, John, as he's in heaven, he looks, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven is opened, and he begins to see in there. You see, this is the true tabernacle, according to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2. This is where God dwells. This is where God is on his throne. And we saw when we were back in chapter 4 that at the throne of God, on the four corners of that throne, are four beasts. These beasts are the, the cherubim. There used to be another one. There used to be a fifth who was Lucifer, who became Satan. But these four remain at the four corners of the throne of God, and the Bible says that they cease not day and night to proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There is no beings that have ever been created that are more concerned about God's holiness and God's glory than those four beasts. And, buddy, they've been watching all kind of trash take place ever since Lucifer exalted himself in his pride. They've been watching for the last 6,000 years on this planet all the trash that's been going on, and they have just been waiting because, you see, they understand what's going on. Because in that tabernacle in heaven, in that true temple in heaven, what God says is there are seven vials. And day after day, and year after year, century after century, millennium after millennium, What's been happening is those seven vials have been filling up. And what chapter 15 let us know is that there is going to come a point in time where God is going to turn to one of those beasts who is going to act in behalf of all four of them. And he's going to say, Enough. That's it. That beast is going to take those seven vials Seven angels will come into that tabernacle, into that temple in heaven. And they will be distributed, those seven vials. And would you look at verse 8 of chapter 15? And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple to the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And so John sees this, this awesome thing shaken down in the temple in heaven there in verse 8. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 16, look at it. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And, and folks, no, no, listen. What we're about to read from this point on is so incredibly awful, so incredibly intense, that it ought to cause every single person that is in this room this morning to examine the relationship that you have with the God of the Bible. Now, some of you are here this morning, and I don't know how long it's been going on, but you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and some of you week after week around this place you come into here and you try to convince yourself that you're born again you, you somewhere in your gut you, you, you know that you're not but the price tag somehow in your mind is too high for you to humble yourself and to just admit 
I need to be born again. And I, I, maybe, maybe you're not wrestling that. Maybe, maybe you're, you're absolutely convinced of it. I don't care who you are. The first time guest or been here for 80 years. In light of what we're going to see, I think we all need to obey 2 Corinthians 13.5. And it said this, Let a man examine himself, whether he be in the faith. And what we're about to see is, is so intense that people read it that are new to the Bible. And you know what the question they have is? We're going to come through all of this, and if I didn't say this beforehand, what, what some of you'd be saying as we're reading through this, and what you'd be thinking in your mind is, I wonder what this, I wonder what this means. Because you see, what people love to do is they try to come to a place like this and they begin to say, I wonder what this symbolizes. I, I wonder what the, the spiritual truth is that is being brought forth here. You need to understand something. This is not symbolism. This is not spiritualization of some principle. What this means is exactly what it says. The, the reason that people have such a hard time with the book of Revelation is they don't want to believe what they read. Anywhere you find symbolism in the book of Revelation, God is clearly going to tell you you're dealing with symbolism. And when he doesn't tell you he's, he's talking about a symbol... You take it for face value. You take it literally because that's the way that God intended it. And look at what he says in verse 2. And the first went. That's the first angel. And poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angels of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the, that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, 
And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. And now, Lord, as we begin to talk about this incredible passage, I pray that people that are in this room today that don't know you as Savior... I pray that they might be jolted in their very being after seeing the reality of what is about to take place in the very near future on this planet. I pray in the midst of all of this that they might see your grace and mercy and compassion that is afforded them and provided for them through Jesus Christ today. But Lord, would you take this this morning and use this to change our lives to save the lost and to conform into your image every single one of us that do know you we ask in Jesus name amen all right now let's let's go back to verse 1 let's start working our way through the verses here look at Roman numeral 1 on your outline the judgment commanded the judgment commanded and John says in verse 1 and I heard a great voice out of the temple. Now, just stop there for a second. Now, remember when we were talking about chapter 11? When we were back in chapter 11, I told you that Revelation chapter 11 is, without a doubt, the most important chapter in the entire Bible. Now, something about Revelation chapter 16, I can't say that this is the most important chapter in the Bible, but I can say this without any shadow of a doubt. This is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible because of how God uses the word great. We see a great voice here in verse 1 and drop down to verse 9. I don't know if you noticed this as we were coming through this. He says men were scorched with a great heat and then look down in verse 12 he talks about the great river Euphrates and then at the end of verse 14 it's that great day of God Almighty. Then verse 17 in the middle of the verse, it's the, the great voice out of the temple again. And then verse 18, look in the middle of the verse. He talks about a, a great earthquake, and he goes on and on about it. At the end of verse 18, he says it was so great. And then verse 19, he talks about that great city. And then in the middle of the verse, great Babylon. And then down in verse 21, he says there fell upon men a great hail. And he starts talking about the hail at the, at the end of the verse. He says, the plague thereof was exceeding great. Eleven times in this one chapter, God uses the word great. And now back to verse 1. Of course, that great voice that John hears in verse 1 is none other than the voice of God himself. And the voice of God is, is who, y'all? It's Jesus, right? You see, that's why he's constantly referred to in this book as the Word. God speaks 
through his word. That's why in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, what? Was God. That's why in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 18, it says that the voice, listen to it, the voice of God walked in the garden. The voice of God is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder, John says in verse 1, it was a, a great voice. Amen? The greatest voice that has ever existed. And, and you know, I, as I was reading that, I was just thinking about the things that that great voice has spoken through the centuries. Jesus, the Word of God, the voice of God, comes along in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, and he says, check this out. He says, come. Get any better than that? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's a great voice right there, man. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, he says, come buy wine and milk without money. And without price, he says, listen, I've got something that money could never buy that I can offer to your soul. He says in verse 3 of Isaiah 55 and verse 3, listen to it. He says, incline your ear. In other words, listen to what I'm about to say to you here. He says, come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And you know what? Listen. If we wanted to talk about the incredible things that this great voice has spoken, and, and guys, look at me right here. Don't make me have to call you down again, okay? I, I thought we communicated with our eyes just a few minutes ago. Don't do that. If we were to take the time this morning, we could spend the entire day just going all over the Bible where this great voice has spoken incredible things. And here is the Apostle John. Okay, now think about this guy. He spent three and a half years of his life, morning, noon, and night, listening to the great voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in John chapter 13, we talk about this so often. He lays his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks. I mean, John is a, he is a man that, that heard great words from the great voice of God. But John never heard, never heard him say what he heard him say in verse 1. Those seven angels had gone into the temple and each received a vial full of God's wrath. And in that temple had received specific instruction about pouring it out on the earth. All they were waiting on now is just waiting for the command to go. And look at verse 1. John says that he heard that great voice of the Lord Jesus Christ say to the seven angels, Go your ways. And check this out. Don't just pour, but pour out 
the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Pour it all out, every last drop of it. Go. And what's interesting about this command in verse 1 is that it's actually a fulfillment of prophecy. That's letter A under Roman numeral 1. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. Let me, let me take you back to the book of Deuteronomy for just a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 30. In the context here, Deuteronomy chapter 30, is the Lord is laying out the conditions of his relationship with his people Israel as they entered into the promised land. And, and you know what? It, it really was pretty simple. What, what he says to them and what he's firmly established here is, here's the way it works, guys. If you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey, you'll be cursed. Okay, now boys and girls, what would you like? That, that's basically what God has done. If you just obey, you'll be blessed. But do understand, if you disobey, you'll be cursed. You know what? Same basic thing that God's still saying to all of us today. Okay? And back in, look in chapter 29 and verse 18. He warned Israel that if they ever turned away from him to serve the other gods of the other nations, what he's explaining to them is that his anger was going to be kindled and he would judge them, even to the point that, look, look at what verse 24 says, even all the nations shall, shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring it upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of the land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. And of course, what this is all prophesying is God is saying now, now listen, if you don't follow me, you got a choice in the thing, but if you don't follow me, he says there's going to come a day when the nations of the world are going to come upon you and you'll be scattered into every nation of the world. And of course, in 70 AD, Titus, the, the, the Roman general, comes into Jerusalem and he absolutely annihilates the entire city. And at that point, in 70 AD, the Jews were literally scattered into every co corner of the globe and this is a, a group of people that have been cursed like no other people for the last 1930 years. But watch the prophecy beginning in verse 1 of chapter 30. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. And what is so wild, folks, and I'll just stop right here and make sure that you got this. What's so wild is that a little over 50 years ago, what we just read right there in that passage began to be fulfilled. And what is even wilder yet is while we're sitting in this room this morning in New Philadelphia, Ohio, on the other side of the earth, this prophecy at this very moment is being fulfilled in Israel. 
Since 1948, the Jewish people who have, again, been scattered into every corner of the globe for over 19 years, in 1948, they began returning into their homeland. And even secular historians will tell you it is an absolute miracle that the only way that it could be explained is by God because there has never been a people that have been removed from their homeland that have been able to establish or maintain their identity. And you know how the Jews have been able to do that? There's only one explanation, and it is God. And you know why God has orchestrated all of that? Because of the prophecy that we're seeing right here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. They had to maintain their identity for over 1,900 years without a homeland because God was going to bring them back from every nation of the world back into that homeland. Now, since 1948, they have not been returning in belief like they will in the tribulation period. But what is taking place right now in that part of the world is providing a basis for what we're reading about right here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And God goes on in verse 4. Look at it. He says, If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So God, make sure you got this. God says, now listen, what I'm going to do is in the end times, I'm going to gather you from all the nations of the world where you've been persecuted all these years. And God is about to say, and this is what's going to happen to those nations that persecuted you. Look at verse 7. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And you know what those curses are going to be, y'all? It's what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 16. It is the fulfillment of this prophecy. God says, I'll scatter you in every nation of the world, and they'll persecute you and curse you. you you'll be... You'll be abused by those people. But those people that abuse you, the tables are going to turn. And then I'm going to abuse them. That's the prophecy. And turn over to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. And look at verse 17. Another prophecy fulfilled in Revelation chapter 16 God says awake awake stand up O Jerusalem and again she will in the tribulation period stand up O Jerusalem which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and folks that's that's the cup the Jews have been drinking from for the last 1930 years but drop down to verse 22 and see what's going to happen when the Jews awake in the tribulation period have their eyes open to who the Lord Jesus Christ is verse 22 thus saith the Lord the, the uh, thy Lord the Lord and thy God that pleadeth the cause of, cause of his people behold I have taken out of thine hand 
the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. I've taken that out of your hand. Thou shalt no more drink it again. Watch this now. But I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee. Put what into that hand? The cup of fury. The cup of his trembling, which have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. What, what God is saying here is, listen, these nations have absolutely treated you like dirt for 1930 years. You've been like the stinking street. We would say today, you've been a doormat to the rest of the world. And God says, but there is going to come a day when they will drink from the cup of my fury. And again, that's the prophecy that we're seeing in Revelation chapter 16. But not only is Revelation 16 the fulfillment of prophecy, it's also, let her be, the fulfillment of prayer. And turn back, if you would, to Psalm 79 for a minute. Psalm 79. Okay, the, the, the last seven plagues in Revelation chapter 16 are going to come because God prophesied that they would. But not only that, they're also going to come in answer to Israel's prayer. This is so significant when you see this in Psalm 79. Let's pick up in verse 6. Here's Israel praying. Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob, or Israel, and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. And watch verse 12 now. And render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach wherewith they have reproached thee. O Lord. And again, that sevenfold reproach is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 16 in the pouring out of the seven vials. And now turn back, if you would, to Revelation chapter 16. Now that's, that's the judgment commanded. Now let's look at Roman numeral 2. At the judgment commenced the judgment commenced now our Lord commands the angels to go in verse 1 and now in verse 2 they commence or they begin to do what they've been commanded by God to do and this is letter A the pouring of the first vial the traumatic sore the traumatic sore now look at verse 2. John says, And the first went, and again, now that's the first angel. He went, And poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them 
which worshipped his image. Now, let me just remind you. Now, there's a lot of folks that are here for the first time. They weren't here when we were in chapter 13. Let me just make sure that we all understand this. What's going to take place during the tribulation period? And what will usher in the tribulation period, of course, is going to be the rapture of the church. That is the removal of everybody that is on this planet that has entered into a relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they're just going to be vanished. If it were to take place this morning, there'd be a handful of people probably, maybe even more than we would bargain for, that would be left in this room. You can imagine the panic. You can imagine how you'd be freaking out. If you've got kids on the other side of this wall or somewhere in this building, first thing you'd be doing is running like crazy to see if your kids are still there. There would be absolute pandemonium. That's what's going to take place on this planet. The world is going to be desperately looking for answers. All kinds of problems will enter into the world governmentally, financially, and spiritually. You just go on through this deal and all of a sudden, a savior is going to appear on the scene. It is who the Bible refers to as the beast. He's a false savior. He is a false Christ. We refer to him as the antichrist. He's going to come on the scene and man, he's going to pull the, the world together governmentally, politically, financially, spiritually. He's going to have answers for everything and he's going to settle the world. Everybody's going to be just thinking, oh, this is, this is wonderful. This guy is, is, is great. And all this stuff is going to be going on. Then in the middle of the tribulation period, in, in Revelation chapter 13, what it says is going to take place is he is going to receive a deadly head wound. And through telecommunication, CNN, and everything else, the entire world will witness this event. He will be and as far as the world is concerned at that time, the man. And buddy, when he gets assassinated, everybody will be glued to their TV. And while they're watching, what the Bible says in Revelation 13 is that thing is going to heal and he will apparently resurrect. And buddy, you thought he was the man before. Now he's really the man because he has risen from the dead. And what has actually happened is Satan has entered into his body. And at that point... The prophecy of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, of Daniel chapter 9, of Matthew 24 is going to be fulfilled. That Antichrist will walk into the newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. He'll walk into the Holy of Holies, and he will sit down on the throne reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what is referred to biblically as the abomination that makes desolate, or the abomination of desolation. He will be the man, and he will command that all of the world worship him. His false prophet will establish a, 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 an image to the beast, and he'll command that all of the world worship this image, the image of the beast. And so that they'll know whether or not you've done that, the Bible says that after you have worshipped the beast, you will receive his mark. And you must have this mark in your hand or in your forehead in order to buy or sell anything. So you see, they've got you between a rock and a hard place is the way that it's going to come down. You've got three choices. You can take the mark and you can eat and continue on. You can refuse the mark and starve to death. And when they find you out, the third option is they'll lop off your head. So they've got you. It's either starve to death 
or we kill you or you worship. And that's what's going to be taking place. And what's going to happen is most of the world is going to take that mark. And what we're seeing here is God saying that all of those that take that mark, and you see for three solid years, man, this group of people is going to think, we made the right decision, man. Boy, did you see it on the news tonight? All those people getting their heads chopped off. Glad I took the mark. You see those people, they're starving over there with their bellies all swollen. Man, I'm glad I took the mark. For three solid years, they're real glad about this thing. And then all of a sudden, as God's wrath is filled up and this first angel pours out his vial, all of a sudden, listen now, every person on this planet who worshipped the image of the beast and took his mark is going to be the recipient of another kind of mark. God says, you want a mark? Fine. I'll give you a mark. And that's what he calls in verse 2. This noisome and grievous sore. Now, the, the word noisome is the old English word from which we get our word annoying. But now listen. We use the word annoying to talk about, you know, some kid in the grocery store that was just really annoying, you know. No, no, no big trip. The, the, the word carries with it so much more than that. Listen, folks, this is an unbelievably nasty, terrible, horrible, open sore or a, a, an ulcer type of wound that causes incredible grief. He says it is, it is noisome. And grievous. And I want to just ask you right now. What are the chances of you receiving this noisome and grievous sore? What are the chances? Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and I'm not trying to put a doubt in anybody's mind, that's the last thing I want to do, and yet by the same token, I don't want to preach my guts out week after week around here and never really hit the issue that there are people that have made a false profession of faith, have never really embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the chances of this being you? Now, now and the thing that I feel like I always have to say when we're covering this because I know how the thinking goes, because I used to think like this before I came to know the Lord. I would hear about all this, this tribulation type stuff, and, and what was going on in my thinking was, well, listen, see, at least I know the way this whole thing's going to shake down, and so when it all shakes down like that, you know, I'm not going to take the mark. I'll just starve to death. Nope. You won't. And the reason that I know you won't is because God's already clearly said you won't. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, and you can jot it down if you want to look at it, you can, but you don't need to turn there. L listen to what it says. If you had the opportunity to receive the truth of God, but you had pleasure in unrighteousness, in other words, you were presented with salvation, the truth of God. And you had the opportunity to receive it, but you looked at it and said, 
you know what, uh, you know, maybe someday, but right now I'm having too big a time. What God says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12 is that he will send you in the tribulation period strong delusion so that you will believe the lie, the lie of the Antichrist. You, you say, well, that's, that's not fair. You don't understand. You know what the tribulation period really is all about? Is God giving to every man exactly what he wants. Because you see, for you to listen to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he wants to receive you, like we talked about, that he is saying to you, would you come to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For you to look at, at, at that invitation and snub your nose at that and say, you know what, I just don't think I'm real interested in that right now at this point in my life because I think it's going to screw me up. You know what you're really saying? I want to lie. Because what you're doing is you're lying to yourself. And God says, if you want to lie, I'll give you a lie. And you will receive that in the tribulation period. And what we're going to see this morning is everything that man thinks he wants, God's going to give him in the tribulation. You want a lie? He'll give you a lie. You want a mark? God says, I'll give you a mark. You'll take the mark of the Antichrist, but oh, buddy, just wait till you get marked with God's mark on this thing. So let's, let's, let's all understand each other. Whatever is going to cause you to reject the Lord Jesus Christ today will be the same thing that causes you to receive the Antichrist in that day. And again, I'm not trying to be, you know, an absolute jerk or tick you off. I'm trying to tell you the score biblically. You know what it is? It's that little red light that's going off before God says, I've had enough. But once he's had enough... It's over. But today, what this service is really all about is red light that's flashing, that's saying, Awake! Awake! And if you really want to get an idea of what this, this sore is, is going to be like, turn back for just a second to the book of Exodus, chapter 9. Now, now something you don't want to miss as we go through these seven vials in Revelation 16 is that God is constantly referred to these vials. In chapter 15 and 16, he's constantly referred to them as the seven plagues, or the seven last plagues. Okay, and what's interesting is that God delivered the nation of Israel once before, you'll remember, through a series of ten what? plagues, okay? And it's just unbelievable how the ones in the book of Exodus are so closely related to the ones that we see in Revelation chapter 16. Look at Exodus chapter 9, because I think this will give you a pretty good description of, uh, of this noisome and, and grievous sore that's going to fall upon the people who take the mark of the, the beast in the tribulation period. Exodus chapter 9, let's pick up in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, 
Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man. Now, blains would be blisters. It shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took the ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And now listen, that's the kind of thing that Revelation 16.2 is talking about. A, a, a sore that causes excruciating, unbearable pain. Now, if you read in, you know, prophecy or if you listen to, to a lot of the modern-day guys that, you know, teach on the things of the last days, you know, when you come to this, this noisome and grievous sore that it's talked about, a lot of the guys will, will talk about, you know, th that... Uh, in nuclear explosions, the radiation that is set forth, and, and a lot of you have seen pictures from uh, Hiroshima and the result of that upon the survivors of that. You guys, have you seen pictures of that? Uh, of those children and the, the, the people, the sores that would break out on their body because of that, that radiation. And, and here we're dealing with a time, according to Revelation chapter 6, where there's going to be all kinds of war and, and all of these things taking place. And so a lot of people speculate that that may be what is being referred to here in verse 2. I don't think so. Because you see, that is the, the result of uh, uh, the, the natural consequences of man's doing and, and man's sin. That isn't what this is talking about. What this is talking about is God stepping into the events of mankind and God pouring out His wrath. And let me just tell you, when God unleashes His power, it makes Hiroshima not even seem like a Roman candle. When the power of God is unleashed and the sore comes, it, I, I just guarantee to you, it's going to be a whole lot worse than any picture you ever saw. And the pain of that thing will be much more excruciating. And again, let's remember, this isn't symbolism that we're talking about. What John has seen here, this is real, excruciating, unbearable, malignant sores. And they come as the result of the pouring of the first vial, the traumatic sores. Now let's look at the result of the pouring of the second vial. In verse 3, the result is the toxic seas, or the toxic or poisonous seas. So we move from the traumatic sores to the toxic seas. Verse 3 says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you read that. And immediately your mind goes back to something similar that you saw again in those Egyptian plagues. Let me ask you to turn back once again to the book of Exodus, this time chapter 7. And, and while you're turning there, let me just remind you that though the books of Exodus and Numbers teach us about the history of the nation of Israel, as, now listen, as God took a, a remnant of them and delivered them from the enemy and brought them into the wilderness, you'll remember, and miraculously fed them. But you see, once you, once you see that, 
And then you see what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and then you see what God revealed to John in Revelation chapter 12. What you begin to see, what you begin to find out about the books of Exodus and Numbers is that they're not just books of history about Israel's past. But in a very real way, the books of Exodus and Numbers are also books of prophecy dealing with Israel's future. God told us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15, that which is to be has what? It's already been. And you start checking that thing out, and what you begin to see is that in the tribulation period, once again, God's going to deliver a remnant that he's going to bring out into the wilderness, and once again, God is going to miraculously feed that remnant. And you begin to look in there, and you begin to see the, the path that that Joshua took as he was leading God's people. Joshua is the Hebrew or the Old Testament rendering of the New Testament word, what? Jesus. And what you begin to see is that path that Joshua took is the same exact path that our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to take when he returns at his second coming. And you begin to see that this, these books of Exodus and Numbers, yeah, this is all history, and yet, watch it. Because it's all going to happen again. And God's going to do the same exact thing in a different kind of way, the same exact set of circumstances. But in Exodus chapter 7, you see in, in miniature what's going to happen worldwide when God pours out the second and third vials in the very near future. Look at verse 20. Exodus 7, verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died. And the river stank. I think Moses was black, man. <laughs> and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord said. And Pharaoh turned and went to his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink. For they could not drink of the water of the river. But what you need to understand is that in the tribulation period, you can dig all you want to dig because it's not just going to be the river Nile that's going to be affected. In the tribulation, all of the waters will be tainted. Watch what happens as this third vial is poured out. Go back to Revelation chapter 16. This is letter C on your outline. The third vial is poured out, and it results in the tainted streams. So we move from the toxic sores to the, or the, the traumatic sores, to the toxic seas, now the tainted streams. And notice the reality of this judgment in verse 4. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Okay, now I, I want to see if you can't get a middle picture in your mind of, of, of what's going to be taking place. Okay, now, now get this. All over the entire world, what God is letting us, letting us know here, all over the world, every drop of water will have turned into thick, nasty, putrefying blood. Every ocean, every lake, every river, every stream, 
anywhere there's water, you, 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 you go to turn on the shower, and blood comes out. You know how when the, the power goes off and you're in your, your house for, you know, a few hours with the, the power off and you walk into the kitchen, you, you hit the light switch, you know, duh, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you just take it for granted. You're in the midst of this time and, and you're noticing yourself getting just a little bit thirsty and so you go over to the, the sink to get water and blood comes out. Every fish on the entire planet has died. Every sea creature, everything that's in the sea. And, and, and you can just begin to, to see this thing. The whole world is just engulfed with, with flies. And can you smell it? Oh, this, this horrid, putrefying smell. I, a few years ago, I, I preached in Monmouth, Illinois. There is this pork factory in Monmouth that just kind of keeps the whole place going. And I'm like, what in the world is that smell? And they're, you know what they told me? That's blood. You smell the blood as those animals are being slaughtered by the thousands and tens of thousands. Oh my goodness, y'all. I, I mean, once they told, I wish they wouldn't have told me it was blood, you know? I wish they had just told, well, there's a big pile of manure out there or something. I wish that's what I was, I would have known it wasn't manure by that, that smell. And check this out, that blood was being treated. There's going to be no way to treat what Revelation 16, verses 3 and 4 are talking about. And you know what's kind of wild when you stop to think about this? Listen, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. You know what? All the way through this book, blood symbolizes life. It symbolizes cleansing. It symbolizes salvation. But at this point in the tribulation period, it becomes a symbol of condemnation and death. And so John shows us, first of all, the reality of this judgment. Number two, John shows us the righteousness of this judgment. Because you see, about, about this time, so, someone might be saying, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 wait, wait, I, 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 th I thought God was righteous. I, I mean, where, where's all this wrath and fury and judgment coming from? You, you know where it's coming from? His righteousness. That's where it's coming from. John says in verse 5, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. You know what he's saying? Because you've judged like this. Verse 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I mentioned this at the beginning, but don't you know, folks, that for the last 6,000 years, the angels in heaven have been watching, watching in absolute, utter amazement as God has lovingly and patiently watched as people on this planet have taken brutally the life of His people. 
And not only that, do you remember in, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53, do you, you remember Jesus is in, in the garden and they're coming to take him away to crucify him. Peter's going to be the big stud, so he yanks out his sword and whop, tries to lop off the head of the guy. He misses and he cuts off his ear. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pete, don't you understand, baby? Don't you understand that I could just say the word right now to my father and he would immediately give me more than 12 legions of angels? Almost 100,000 of them by just saying a word. And don't you know that all those angels in heaven were just saying, say the word, say the word. Come on, let me, let, let me go, let me go. No, let me go. Oh, buddy. Just give me the word. And, and oh, we, we, we've talked about it so many times before, and I won't belabor the point. But listen, all through the history of the church, over 50 million of our brothers and sisters were martyred. Their blood was shed because they believed what you and I believe about this book. And what's going to shake down in the tribulation period is probably that number again is going to be martyred. And after all of this time, after all of this time, God finally has had enough. And God finally acts. And what it says is the angel of the water breaks forth saying, Yes, you are so righteous, O Lord. This, what he's saying is, this is just the way that it should be. They wanted blood. And that's exactly what you're giving them. You're righteous because you have judged thus. You, you've given them exactly what they're worthy of. You've given them exactly what they deserve. And let me just make sure, let me just make sure that everybody in this room today understands that regardless of what has taken place in your life, and some of you folks are probably thinking, boy, you know what, in light of some of the things I've done in my life, boy, I've, I've really just been able to kind of coast through. I've been sliding by. What I really fear is because you've slid by to this point, you might think that you're just going to, slide on through the rest of your life and nothing could be further from the truth because listen every person on this planet is going to get exactly what they deserve everybody numbers 32 and verse 23 is still in the bible y'all listen be sure your sin will find you out there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of recompense. Don't miss it. Every sin will be judged. You know how I know that? Because God said, be sure your sins will find you out. And that verse is just as true as John 3.16 is true. It's not like we can say, I like this part, I don't like that part. You know what? There's parts of the Bible we don't like as human beings because we want to continue in our own way. But make no mistake about it. Every sin, every sin 
of every person will be accounted for, will be recompensed. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Are, are, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I'm talking every person in this room. Every sin will be paid for. It'll either be paid for through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ or you'll enter into the tribulation period and you'll begin to pay for it yourself through these vials of God's wrath that is poured out. And you know what? It doesn't end there. I mean, that would be the best news. The best news is letting his cross take care of it. The real bad news is once you enter into the tribulation period, you start paying for it. And once you start, you'll never finish. Because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says that the way that this whole tribulation period is going to end is he's going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and have obeyed not the gospel of God. And what he is going to do at that point is cast every person into everlasting destruction where you will pay for it through all of eternity in hell. But make no mistake about it. Every sin will be paid for. You see, the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ is, that's what he was doing, hanging on that cross. You know what he was doing? Paying for your sin with his, with his blood. And he says, listen, if you'll just call upon my name and you'll receive me, that blood will cleanse you of every sin that you have ever committed in your life. And every sin that you'll ever commit in your entire life will be paid for through my offering. But you reject that. You enter into the tribulation period. And God's going to give you, just like we've been talking about, and we'll, we'll see it further next week. He's going to give you exactly what you want. And listen, for all of you today that want the forgiveness of God, for all of you that are here today that want a relationship with God, you know what? If you'll come to him today, he'll give you exactly what you want. He'll give you the forgiveness of sins today. That offer is open for you. And that's why, that's why at the beginning we were talking about the great voice. You know what? I, I wasn't just filling time. I was letting you see that the God of compassion is constantly saying, Would you come? Would you come to me? You can't buy this gift. You can't earn this gift. You just come to me. And you'll find all that your soul is searching for. And that invitation is open to you today. Now listen. I, I was so burdened about coming and preaching this message today. Because in light of seeing all of this, do you understand?
that if you can look at all of this and say, that's going to be the same thing that is going to cause you in the tribulation period when you see all of this stuff taking place? Would you, would you look at verse... Nine. We, we, we didn't get this. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this next week. In, in this, this fourth vial, watch it, verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give Him glory. The thing that just was so burdening to me is that if we can see all of these things revealed to us here in this life, and it doesn't cause us to repent. That's exactly what's going to happen in the tribulation period when all of it's happening for real. You won't repent then either. And so, oh my goodness, today for some of you folks is such, such a crossroads of life. I'm not even sure that we can fully comprehend what's really taking place in the lives of of people in this room. I think if we could see it from eternity's vantage point. People in this room today are at a major crossroad. And as God today is inviting you to come, showing you His invitation against the backdrop of what is to come, will you respond to Him today? Now listen, if you have any doubt whatsoever about whether or not you are in God's family, in a true child of God. And I know how it is. You get in a room like this and you can get very uncomfortable when God's talking with you. But for you to walk outside of these doors today when God's talking is the beginning of a process that we, just like we saw with Pharaoh when Moses was doing these plagues, the process of hardening his heart. And I want to just make sure today that you understand at least understand what's happening for you to walk out of here today in the face of what God is showing you is to begin the process of hardening your heart and I appeal to you today don't harden your heart if God is speaking man are you having that big a time in your sin I mean is it really that fun are you going to let that sin cause you to drop off into an eternity without Christ. Our pastors are going to be up at the front of this room as we're dismissed this morning. The reason they're positioning themselves there is for you. And before you turn God off and walk out those doors, why don't you talk to somebody today? Nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to make you do anything. But if God's speaking to you today, why don't you at least talk to someone to find out how you can respond to God's invitation to come to him today. Let's pray. And now, Lord, I want to ask you to please work in the hearts of people that are here today that, that don't know you. I, I pray that this would be the day of, of their salvation where the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse them
of all sin. They might be born into a relationship, an eternal relationship, with you, our holy God. Lord, draw men and women and young people to yourself today. We pray that the Spirit of God would convict and reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And oh, God, as we pray so often for those of us that do know you, help us not to be calloused to this and just take it all in stride. May this burn in us a passion while we, while we still have the time to reach as many people as we can possibly reach before these tragedies begin to unfold on this planet. Oh, Lord, open doors for us to be able to share the good news of your invitation to man at this point. Help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.